This is Cam Slater, and you're listening to Dirty Politics. Welcome to Dirty Politics Podcast with Simon Lusk and Cameron Slater. We've got a momentous podcast for listeners. Bill English has resigned, and now we get the incredible delight of watching a knife fight inside the National Party. Simon. Yeah, I mean, it's what we live and breathe and love. The knife fight's going to be fascinating, and it's going to be really interesting to see who gets faked out and who's willing to fight to the death. Well, the way things have panned out today is that it appears that Nikki Kaye's not going to put her name in the hat, but that she is working with one potential leadership option, which is Amy Adams. We're pretty certain that Judith Collins is going to put her name in the hat, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. And of course, we know that Simon Bridges was agitating over the Christmas New Year period for his leadership. At the moment, there's only three, as far as I can tell, credible people. What do you think? Yeah, look, I think Nikki Kay's made a wise decision. She is absolutely loathed by everyone in her intake. She's got no support and she's a dripping wet bloody liberal who's in the wrong party. I mean, she could never lead the National Party and anyone who thinks that she could is just dreaming. I think that Amy Adams has got some pretty serious ethical problems that the first press conference that she gave as being an aspiring leader could become very, very embarrassing for her, so I'm not sure she's going to run. I obviously think Judith should put her name forward, and so should Simon Bridges. I'm not sure either of them are front runner or are going to win, but at least they don't have the absolute hatred that Nikki Kay enjoys in the National Caucus or the major ethical problems that Amy Adams does. The thing that I can see is that if somebody, a wise person within the party, got Judith and Simon to sit down in a room and said, you're not coming out of here until you've cut a deal, that would be all over as far as I could tell from what I know about what's going on within caucus. Yeah, you could well be right. I mean, Jonathan Common is something of a wild card, but I think his bottled leadership campaign changeover from key to English shows that he's not really a guy that does the hard yards in preparation. So I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't put his name forward I'm not sure about your idea of putting them in a room and not letting them out, though, Cam. I think that there could be a whole lot of blood and guts and both of them come out damaged if they come out at all. That'd be interesting. It'd be fun to watch. I don't know. I'd put my money on Judith in a knife fight with someone like Simon Bridges. Yeah, you'd think so. But even so, I'm just not sure. You know, It'd be like trying to negotiate with the EU. You never get anything done. <laughs> Okay, so the way that I see this, we've been talking about this in Insight, we've been talking about this on my blog. There's three particular things that need a potential leader has to consider. The most important, of course, is what is their plan to find their way to 61 votes in Parliament? And I think you'd agree with me, that's the key one. Any candidate has to be able to tell the caucus, this is how I'm going to save you from opposition. And that should be the first question the media asks when they stand up and say, look, I'm great, I'm going to be leader and I'm going to lead national to the promised land. It should be just a straight, well, how are you going to get to 61 votes? And if they don't have a good answer to that, they're an amateur and they shouldn't be taken seriously. Exactly. And and that has to include what they're going to do with potential coalition partners. Bill's plan to try and run to 2020 with existing partners and resurrecting ACT and the Maori Party, that wasn't a plan, that wasn't a goer at all, and I think he's finally realised that, and so that's a killer. That, to me, is the key question. If a leader can't tell the caucus how they're going to win power in 2020, and I'm afraid 
the answer that our Labour will fall over or the government will fall over before them, that's not a valid answer either. Yeah, they could easily fall over, but if National's not competent, it won't be able to get up. And if they don't have coalition partners, they won't be able to get up. Yeah. The second one I think they need to address is, are they likeable? Now, we're not going to get someone who's got the media on side like Jacinda has or John Key had, but they have to be likeable, in my view. This is our old blink test that we're talking about here, that a leader, the moment you see them within the time it takes for you to blink, you can make an assessment, yes, those are the people that I want leading the party. And you look at the 13 points that Jacinda had on Andrew Little, and that was all due to being likeable. And Jacinda is a very likeable person. She's someone that we both think is absolutely lovely, which is unusual in politics. And that's a question that the National Caucus need to ask. Who can look into the TV camera and be liked? And you don't have to be photogenic if you're formidably competent like Helen Clark. Likeability was worth 13 points to Jacinda, and she's Prime Minister because of it. Now, I just want to clarify something there. I was listening this afternoon to Matthew Hoot and Josie Pagani on Larry Williams' News Talk ZB show. And Josie Pagani had this absolutely ludicrous statement that National needed to have a leader that could poach votes from the Labour Party. And I thought, now that doesn't ring true because hang on a second, National's vote didn't drop at all, despite Jacinda. It was barely, it was very small. The assessment was that as that Labour picked up with the transfer to Jacinda's leadership, Labour picked up votes mostly off New Zealand First because they went from 15% to 7 really quickly and also the Greens. So I don't agree with Josie Pagani on that, that they need to be able to poach votes off Labour. I do think that they need to appeal to women voters though And that's where Jacinda got some soft votes from. But you're right, they need to be likable. See, someone like Amy Adams, I was trying to write a blog post today and find a nice picture of Amy Adams. It was impossible. Yeah, but Helen Clark was a bit like that. But Helen Clark spent her whole life being organising to become leader and she was formidable. I don't think anyone regards Amy Adams as formidable and she certainly hasn't spent her time working diligently towards the end goal of being Prime Minister. And that's the problem with Amy Adams that I see. She believes her own press releases and she believes her own spin that she's fed to the media, that she's a, a legal genius and a leader aspirant bar none. I actually think that she's a Maybot. She's a robotic version of Theresa May. Yeah, maybe. I just think she's got a face for radio and she's never going to come across as warm and friendly and she's not someone you want to have a drink with. And more importantly, she hasn't overcome that by doing the hard yards as Helen Clark did. Yeah. Still on this likability thing, Simon Bridges tried to model himself a little bit on John Key as a mini-me and he didn't quite pull it off. And we've seen that Bill English couldn't pull that off either. They need to have their own style, I think, here, but still be likeable. Yeah, and Bridges tried doing what John Key did to honour John Campbell in interview and just came across as a prat. And that was a widely held view of the people that I knew that happened to be watching it and weren't that interested in politics. But this guy looks like an absolute dickhead. Yeah. Now, the third point I think is important for one of these leadership aspirants is I'm picking up from the back bench from my contacts that Stephen Joyce is somewhat blamed for the campaign. He's distinctly unliked and disliked in the same veins as Nikki Kay. 
because of his conceited arrogance that he's better than everybody else. He's never done the hard yards in the party. Uh, He was parachuted straight into cabinet by John Key. And that wasn't a bad thing, but it's led to that conceit and that arrogance. And the word is, is if one of these leaders, leader aspirants, says that they will make sure Stephen Joyce has nowhere near the top table, then they'll probably get the support of that caucus. Yeah, it's very much a thing of style because I don't think he ran a bad campaign. He had a plonker of a leader and he still got 44% of the vote. He managed to get very close with Don Brash. And as much as we love Don, he's not the most disciplined individual. And then he ran three very good campaigns for John Key. The problem is, is that his staff and him have been very aloof, very hard to get along with. Some of them have yelled at MPs, which is something that a minister should have stomped on. And what I was heard was that when people wanted to get Joyce in to do a cabinet club or fundraising or something, it was just impossible and the staff were unbelievably rude. And there was no point in going talking to him because he wouldn't either listen or care. And the big thing is, is that caucus want to have discussions in caucus. They don't want to walk in, have the leader say something, then Joyce tell them what's going to happen and then all troop out again as if they're back at bloody school. So we've looked at who's likely to put their name in the hat. Any of those, in your mind, unsuitable as leader and should be scratched straight away out of those three? Yeah, Amy Adams would be an absolute idiot to put her name forward. I mean, she saw what happened to Len Brown. Exactly the same thing could easily happen to Amy Adams, and that's just not worth putting yourself through. No, that's my thoughts too. Certainly the information that flows around that comes out of the Beltway and reaches my ears. If it's reaching my ears, then they've got a problem. Oh, a huge problem. Huge. So who else do you think shouldn't be leader or cannot be leader and why? Well, I think Paula Bennett, who was thought of as a potential leader, is really going to struggle. And unlike Joyce, who was aloof and distant, Bennett was just outright horrible to backbenchers and she was horrible to staff. She just is a really unpleasant person. So there's no love for her except perhaps around the top table where she hasn't been absolutely horrible to everyone that is below her. So I don't think there's as much support there for her. I think she got to where she is because of her close relationship with Murray McCulley and that's somewhat similar for Nikki Kay as well. And look, honestly, I think that the time of the McCulley bogue english cartel is well and truly over. It should have been over under John Key, but he kept them on for whatever reason. But they're all gone now, and it's really time for a break from the old way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. And I just find it very difficult to believe that there is a reason to treat your staff appallingly. Don't think that it indicates someone that is able to handle pressure particularly well. I think that you also get nailed for the way that you treat the people that are voting for you. She may do all right with the people that weren't in caucus before the election, and she might do all right with the senior people, but there's a whole lot in the middle that won't be very fond of her. Well, I was staggered that Labour never went after the staff turnover of ministerial offices because McCulley's office and Paula Bennett's office were having a race for who had the fastest revolving door. Yeah, and, you know, I'm very, very hesitant to believe that anyone who can lose their temper quickly and not be civil to staff is going to handle the pressure of being the leader. What about Joyce? Could he be the leader? I understand he's running his own numbers and he's managed to get to one. Yeah, well, he's probably smart enough to realise that it might be time to go and spend some more time with his family as well. I would think that his 
one vote is pretty solid, but I don't know that he's got many others. He may be able to come up with some kind of scenario where he's a compromise candidate. But you think, how many bald guys do you know that are at the top of politics anywhere in the world? And very, very hard to think of anyone. What about wild cards? I can think of one wild card, and I certainly have heard late this afternoon that John Key is backing Mark Mitchell and pushing him forward. I think, Mark, he's certainly good under fire, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm not sure it's acceptable, though, to pull out a Glock and sort out you know, the government. It might work in uh, South Sudan, but you do need, when you're a, a hostage negotiator and, and under fire, that cool calmness. And I've certainly seen Mark deal with that, particularly in the selection in Rodney. He could be a wild card if somebody put together a ticket with him included in it, it might work. I think it'd have to be at the top of the ticket because as rightly has been pointed out, Jacinda as deputy leader didn't budge Andrew Little from 23%, but as leader she got up to 36 The thing with Mark is, is that he's actually a likeable guy. I think most people would be quite happy to sit down and have a beer with him, and I don't know a lot of other politicians like that. There's a discussion around the punditry heard on radio on Talkback this afternoon, certainly seen around the blogs, that whoever National selects, they won't be able to go after Jacinda Ardern. What do you think about that? I wouldn't even try. I mean, she's got a bunch of incompetent fools around here. You don't need to attack her. You just attack the morons that she's got surrounding her. It's a bit of a disconnect because Labour and Jacinda Ardern have put about that she can do anything, she can have a baby, take six weeks off, come back and be the Prime Minister. And whilst we all agree with that, I just know in my heart that the public wouldn't tolerate a bloke smacking around a pregnant Prime Minister. I just think that the older generations would think that was uncomfortable. I think that the left wing who have the gold medal for hypocrisy anyway would all of a sudden say, oh, leave poor Jacinda alone because she's pregnant. And for that reason, much and all as I hate that reason, I don't think that a bloke could possibly be the leader at this point in time. Now, that may all change come August, September or anything like that. But you know, National needs to select the best candidate possible for the presumption that Jacinda Ardern is going to go full term. The other thing that is always worth bearing in mind is that everyone says, oh, when you go in the opposition, you're, you're stuck for at least two elections. Well, I don't believe that. The Liberals in Australia, when John Howard lost in 2007, they had three leadership changes in the first term, and Tony Abbott came within a whisker of winning power back in 2010. If he hadn't have been sold out by some ratbag right-wingers who decided to go with Julia Gillard, he would have been Prime Minister. So I don't think that the leadership needs to be settled now. I don't think they need to be given until the election. As we saw with Jacinda, a new leader two months out can work. So if someone's not forming, I think that they can have their throat cut pretty quickly. So we may be having another conversation like this in the not-too-distant future. The only issue with that that I see is the inherent conservatism of the National Party with the status quo. We saw that with the board over the last nine years. Every time it came around to conference time, the word went out, oh, now's not the time to challenge. It's election year. We want it to be stable. We don't want this. Now's not the time to change the deputy. Now's not the time to change the cabinet because we want stability. And then you have the election to go, well, that was the winning team. We can't roll them. We can't change that. You know, Peter Goodfellow's just won the election, so we can't roll them now. And National has always been very, very slow to rip the sticking plaster off. 
Yeah, look, I think that probably they have learnt, though, that an unwillingness to deal with failure is bad. But more importantly, unlike those scenarios, the naked ambition of aspiring leaders who aren't leader now or of an ex-leader could easily see someone decide to knock off the first leader if they aren't polling high enough. That's just the nature of politics. I wouldn't be at all surprised. If I was advising someone now and they lost, I'd say, well, just stick in there and be ready to go at any moment because this could all fall over very rapidly. Yeah, well, I can see that we're going to have quite a few podcasts over the coming weeks and in the immediate aftermath of whoever becomes the leader. This is the sort of stuff, the bread and butter stuff that we enjoy about politics because the knife work and the wet work is always where there's fun. Oh, yeah, and you find out who can actually handle the pressure. And, you know, I think something that goes in Mark Mitchell's favour is that we know that whatever pressure comes in politics is going to be nowhere near like it was in the Middle East when he was over there. And it probably isn't even as tough as when he was bloody letting his dog chew on gang members in Gisborne. Uh, being mauled by Chippy in Parliament isn't like being hunted down by Muqtada al-Sada, is it? Yeah, or having some scumbag jump on you from underneath a tree in a creek that you're wading down trying to catch him and your dog's gone past him. A bit different from having someone in Labour having a few cross words with you. Just before we wind up, I want to just go back to this route to 61 votes in Parliament. To my mind, it is not viable to try and start a new political party out there. Unless you're going to talk about splitting the National Party in two. Look, it's been proposed since 1993, and I don't think it'll ever happen. So the chances of a new party starting up and storming into Parliament without some assistance from an existing party, I just think it's remote. That means that National is going to have to choose a leader and a leadership team that know how to cook a good rat and to chug that down very quickly and to reach across and make amends with Winston Peters. What's your view on that, Simon? I think it is so self-evident that I can't believe that the leadership contenders won't be saying, well, I'm able to do a deal with Winston and I have a good rapport with him and we can do a deal with New Zealand first. They're not locked in. Because otherwise, there's not much hope for National being in government. I think it is quite possible. Winston is a guy that seems to forgive. I don't think he ever forgets, but he's managed to let some pretty major slights in the past go by. And I mean, we both remember him getting kicked out by Jim Bolger. And then 1996, there's Jim Bolger looking somewhat stunned as Winston announces that he's going to go with Jim Bolger. Yeah, but Jim knew how to pour a scotch. Yeah, good operator, good operator. So just bearing that last little bit in mind that we believe, you and I believe, that National's going to have to deal with New Zealand First in some form at the next election. To my mind, that discounts Amy Adams immediately because she's too closely aligned with Bill English and all of those people who are associated with the problems that existed at this election, the one that's just gone. Obviously, Paula Bennett can't be included in that, neither can Stephen Joyce. No. Simon Bridges, of course, had two goes with Winston Peters around Tauranga, and uh, it's fair to say they don't like each other very much at all. Yeah, not only that, Simon said some really stupid things to different members of the New Zealand First Caucus. I think that you, know, you put Simon in place and New Zealand First are going to say, look, we're not even interested in, in thinking about this. We just don't like that guy. We think he's a prick. So that then leaves Judith and Mark Mitchell. And now, touch on Mark Mitchell, I know that he has a very good relationship particularly with Shane Jones and also with Clayton Mitchell and a couple of others. 
I don't think there's many people that Mark wouldn't have a good relationship with. He's an amiable sort of a guy. And yeah, well, we know that he's been in some pretty bad situations. He seems to be able to get on with everyone. And that again comes back to that hostage negotiation and the ability to negotiate with bad people. He cut a deal with Victor Boot. He cut a deal with Muqtada al-Sada. And when he was surrounded in South Sudan, he sorted out Joseph Kony as well. So he's got the goods to do that. That leaves Judith. I haven't heard anything to suggest that she's built a rapport with New Zealand first, but having been a lawyer and a trial lawyer and those sorts of things, I would think she probably has the skills to do that. Yeah, I would have thought so. I think the first thing is, is you've got to be willing to go and have a chat with Winston, and too few of the National Party have been willing to do that. Well, you've also got to be prepared to take the heads of people that Winston doesn't like, like Nick Smith and Stephen Joyce, and we don't need to take Bill English's head, he took his own. Yeah, I, I don't think that Winston really minds Nick that much because he wasn't involved in leaking Winston's pension details, but I think there's a few others that, yeah, if you want Winston on side, you're going to have to have a few sacrificial offerings to the gods and probably the more bloody they are, the better. And that might get Winston on side, but he was sounding pretty belligerent today when he said that he didn't think there was anyone in the National Caucus that could lead National back to government. Well, you know, that's typical of a government minister, though, isn't it? You think they're in charge? <laughs> oh, yeah, and not only that, it wasn't that long ago where National couldn't imagine that Labour could take over because their ministers were just so much superior to the aspiring Labour ministers. Yeah. Well, we'll just put that down to Winston being a bit liverish. Yeah, I'm sure Winston is able to be persuaded that he doesn't have to be quite so liverish. And, yeah, the ritual slaughter wouldn't go astray. Yeah. Right, well, I think we've uh, covered a fair bit there. Let's uh, revisit this in a couple of days where we've got the actual candidates that are putting their names forward, and I think it's going to be an exciting time. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for your time, Simon. No worries, Gareth.